Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Comerica Park in Detroit. We got a doubleheader final here. Game one, it's the Tigers four, the Guardians three. Game two, it's the Tigers one, the Guardians nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And you know what? I was really excited for some traditional doubleheader action. I was ready for a whole day of baseball while I'm trying to get work done, and I don't think the Guardians were. I don't think the Guardians were excited about playing in 30-degree weather. The Tigers beat us in every aspect of the game over the course of 18 innings. Like It's kind of unbelievable uh, that things went so wrong. And I, I believe I believe Mandy Bell pointed out that last year the Tigers swept us in a doubleheader in the middle of the season. And we probably had the same reaction. Like, what in the world is happening where this... Not very great Tigers team uh, is beating us in a doubleheader like this. I mean, literally, literally every aspect of the game. I mean, they out hit us like crazy in the first game. 14 hits to eight. They were on base in every inning. Every inning except one. They had runners on base. They were getting hits. It wasn't even walks. They were getting hits. They only drew one walk the entire game. They were just hitting their way on. A three-hit day for Riley Green. Three-hit day for Kerry Carpenter, including the walk-off home run. Including the big double uh, to tie the game up in the fifth inning. Multi-hit game for Zach McKinstry. A four-hit day for Eric Haas in the nine-hole. Who, it feels like every time plays against Cleveland, feels like he has to get some kind of revenge game. uh, You know, being a former catcher. So, yeah. I mean, everyone in their, you know, their lineup was out hitting us. They outpitched us on the day. You know, Boyd and Hunter Gaddis didn't go too deep in the day. Uh, they both go five innings. But Eduardo Rodriguez in the second game definitely outpitched us. And that's not to take anything away from Peyton Bannifield, who had a really good start on the other side of things. A literally one solo home run from a Riley Green who goes the opposite way and and frankly pops one pops one up down the left field line kind of I mean the expected batting average on Riley Green's home run to lead off the 6th inning he hits it 104.1 miles per hour so he does do that it's a 38 degree launch angle 354 down the line it only had an expected batting average of 470 that's it 470 but to hit one out in Tiger Stadium, you do have to hit one a long way, and uh, I guess we got to give him credit for that. But it didn't look like a, a home run swing off the bat. It looked like a fly ball swing uh, that just carried out there. Uh, and, and I mean, he turns around and just immediately mows down Javi Baez and strikes him out uh, as his response to that home run. So, uh, you know, a good bounce back there from Battenfield. So, uh, let's get into some of the details here because the, the top storyline of this game is that the, oh man, except for one inning, one we scored in one of 18 innings. The Guardians offense just was not there. I mean, that's the top storyline in the game to me. Uh, they weren't drawing many walks. They did have, uh, let's see, did they have any stolen bases? Uh, no stolen bases in game one. 
So yeah, they just weren't, it just didn't feel, didn't feel like a Guardians game. And caught stealing. Gabriel Arias was caught stealing in game two. So no stolen bases across the two games. Meanwhile, they were running uh, on uh, Zanino. Uh, they were challenging him, who went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Oof. And then in game two, Jose Ramirez goes 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. So yeah, uh, it was, man, just a rough, rough offensive day all the way around for the Guardians. Uh, Matthew Boyd, like I said, only goes five innings, gives up five hits, three earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts. He does give up a home run, but he only gives up three hard-hit balls on 82 pitches. So, like I said, in the fourth inning, we jump on them. We we actually take a lead here, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. We jump on them in the fourth inning. Jose Ramirez with a single. Josh Bell with a double. I believe, did this go the opposite field? I believe it went opposite way. Oh, that's right. Jose Ramirez is single. It was the single and the error that probably could have been credited as a double, but uh, instead they gave an error to Akil Badu. So Ramirez is on second. Bell's double is the opposite way. He shoots it down the right field line. Uh, really a cool look from the, uh, from the camera back there behind home plate uh, that looks down that right field line. Uh, and then Oscar Gonzalez comes up. He gets a breaking ball uh, that comes inside on him from the lefty that stays up, hangs up there, and he smokes it. 106.7 miles per hour, 424, 33-degree launch angle, 880 expected batting average on that one. You know, much different than Riley Green's home run to left field. Uh, and, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about this game, right? 3-1 to one lead. The offense, boom, wakes up in the fourth inning. Uh, had they gone... Uh, they didn't get set down 1-2-3 in every inning. Josh Bell had drawn a walk to start the second. But, uh, basically, they hadn't gotten a hit up until that point, until Ramirez is single in the fourth. So, you're like, all right, the offense is coming alive. Three runs. Let's do this thing. Gaddis was in... Gaddis was working every inning, but he was holding it together until the bottom of the fifth inning when they finally put together their big rally off him. But, I mean, he was dealing with guys on base the whole day. Walk, single, sack, fly in the first. Second inning, back-to-back two-out singles, and he gets out of it. The third, they go one, two, three. A single from Torkelson in the fourth, so runners on base. Uh, and then a couple of singles, and then finally a th- three singles, and then finally the double from Kerry Carpenter uh, in the fifth inning ties the game up. Uh, I thought, yeah, I was wondering how long they were going to stick with Gaddis. I think they actually let him uh, get out of that inning because he does go five full innings. So I was, I was surprised, um, you know, he didn't try to rescue him at that point. He let the young guy go and see if he could get out of the inning. Uh, and then it goes all the way to the ninth inning. Uh, and it's two Karen check with two outs against Kerry Carpenter, their big home run hitter. And he delivers for them. Let's go to that at bat. Cause that, I mean, this is the deciding factor in the game, right? You're ready to go to extra innings. You're thinking, man, how many pitchers are we going to have to burn in extra innings? But at least, at least we have that away team advantage. Uh, starts him off with three curveballs in a row. Uh, gets one for a called strike, drops one in the dirt, throws another one at the knees that frankly should have been called a strike. 
Then goes to the four-seam fastball, gets him to swing through it at the top of the zone, up, up above the zone. So he's in a 2-2 count, tries to throw another curveball, but misses high with it. I don't know why he's saying so high against Kerry Carpenter. This, this guy kind of hits pitches up there. And then goes four four-seam fastballs in a row in the same location, up and in. Goes four times up and in, and he fouls off three of them in a row. Now, let me ask you something. If you threw the same pitch three times in a row, and all three times it got fouled off, would you keep going back to it? Or would you maybe, maybe try something else? Maybe try, I don't know, that, that nasty wipeout curveball you have that it's got a pretty high whiff rate? Nope. Instead, he goes one more fastball up and in, and he turns on it. 101.8, squares it up this time, 38-degree launch angle, 363. Only had a 360 expected batting average. What is going on with these pop fly uh, home runs by the Tigers in this game? So, yeah, there's the difference in the game, right? In the, in the doubleheader, two solo home runs by the Tigers. Kerry Carpenter gets the walk-off here in the ninth. And I, I was looking at Kerry Carpenter a little bit. First off, he's, got, he's in the 100th percent percentile for barrel percentage. This dude is a power hitter. His expected slugging is in the 93rd percentile. Hard hit rate, the 83rd percentile. This, this dude is a power hitter. I mean, it's almost a shame he has Javi Baez batting in front of him, who's been terrible since he got to Detroit. But uh, just looking at the pitch mix here, I was trying to look at his zones a little bit. It's kind of hard. He doesn't have enough at-bats uh, this season to really show like where he's hammering the ball, what his heat map is. But um, I can tell you pitches, he's hitting 353 off fastballs. He's slugging 882 off fastballs. Guess what he's hitting off breaking balls? You know that that nasty curveball we were talking about at Karen Checks? Zero. He's hitting zero. He's slugging zero. I I don't know why why he stuck with that fastball four times in a row. Why he didn't go back to that curveball one more time. Especially, I mean, you've got him looking up. Any curveball, you could even start the curveball up and you'd probably get him to strike out. You don't have to bury it in the dirt or anything. I just, uh, I'd love to know what the what the conversation was between Karachek and Zanino in that ninth inning. Going, yeah, yeah, let's go fastball one more time up here. Sure, why not? I'd love to. I'd love to see talk to them after the game and be like, did you maybe shouldn't knock on fastball four times in a row? So, uh, I mean, that's what goes down in game one. I'm trying to find differences between Hunter Gaddis because it really felt like he struggled in game one, despite an okay start. Whereas in game two, Peyton Battenfield gives you a really good battle with Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, now, b- both pitching staffs, frankly, dominate in game two. Again, it's one solo home run by Riley Green. Um, both pitching staffs, Kind of dominated in this one. Peyton Battlefield goes six innings, only gives up three hits. He's only hard hit five times. Uh, one earned run. The three walks, yes. And mostly to the catcher, Jake Rogers, in the nine hole, which kept blowing me away. I was like, ninth hitter in the lineup. The bat, you know, I don't know who's the technically the backup and the starting catcher for the Tigers, but 
uh, you know, a 222 hitter and you're walking him like twice in the game. Come like, come on, attack this guy. Uh, he's attacking everybody else. I don't know what it was about Jake Rogers that made him shy away. Uh, so three walks on the day for Battlefield, but he's able to survive it. Five strikeouts, the solo home run allowed on 87 pitches. But on the other side of things, Eduardo Rodriguez goes eight innings, four hits, no earned runs, no walks, 10 strikeouts on 99 pitches. He's only hard hit three times. I mean, it really felt like the offense kind of gave up in that second game. And it just was not there. So uh, what was working for these pitchers? Uh, and what was the difference between Battenfield and, um, and uh, Hunter Gaddis in the first one? Uh, I guess going over to the illustrator here um, and looking at the uh, the pitch location, I mean, Bannonfield was kind of pounding the strike zone uh, with, you know, on StatCast here, it's listed as the cutter, but I believe Rick Manning in the game had a little thing about how this isn't the cutter from Bannonfield. This is a slider, but because of spin and movement and pitch speed, StatCast is getting confused. Um, so this thing on Bannonfield is actually a slider. Uh, he's something like, uh, I have a cutter, but I, I rarely throw it. You'll know it when I throw it or something like that. So I'm going to assume all these cutters are sliders. And, uh, he, he did pound the strike zone. He did pound the, uh, the glove side of the plate with that slider pitch. Meanwhile, uh, on the other, in the game one, uh, with Hunter Gaddis on the mound, he was a little more up with his pitches. A lot of forcing fastballs up uh, above the belt on a lot of things that were hit off Hunter Gaddis were pitches up above the belt. Um, so yeah, so I could see maybe how Battenfield had a little more success, but you know, as far as CSW numbers go, I can get us through what Stackcast again qualifies as a ton of cutters. Uh, didn't have a very high whiff rate on the day. Only five whiffs on 37 swings total, a 14% whiff rate. Uh, Battenfield on the other side of things on game two, uh, he had 11 whiffs on 45 swings, a 24% whiff rate. So a little more effective there at getting that swing and miss. Add in 13 called strikes. It's a 28% CSW. Uh, going back over to Hunter Gaddis, uh, adding in 17 called strikes. It's a 27% CSW. So he was throwing strikes. They put 22 in play with an average exit velocity of 90.2 off Hunter Gaddis. Uh, off Bannon Field, they only put 15 in play with an average exit velocity of 94.3. Really? They were they were hard hitting him that much? Uh, no, that can't be possible. He only had five hard hit balls. I, I guess they hit it hard enough that the average exit velocity is high enough. Okay. I guess, you know, I guess if they hit a bunch of balls at 90 mile per hour exit velocity, it doesn't count as a hard hit ball, but it does help that average exit velocity stay up there. So that was a little surprising. Um, so yeah, uh, man, I guess we could look at the plate discipline numbers to see maybe if there's a difference here. Uh, you know, they're swinging in the zone against Peyton Banfield 84% of the time outside of the zone, 27% of the time, Mostly on that cutter. When when he got him to go outside the zone, it was on that slider. Well, what we're going to say is a slider. 41% of the time outside the zone swinging. Um, let's go ahead and look at the numbers for Hunter Gaddis. Uh, 
The zone swinging was only 64% of the time. So they're being patient against them. Outside the zone swinging, only 22% of the time. So there you go. Uh, they were swinging much more aggressively at Peyton Battenfield and uh, chasing outside of the zone too. So that helped Battenfield out a little bit probably, uh, them being more aggressive and swinging more at his stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to say there was a huge difference, but it, it really felt like Peyton Battenfield commanded the game and Hunter Gaddis was up against the ropes the whole time. And I, I got to be honest with you, when some of these injuries play themselves out, when Savali comes back, when uh, McKenzie comes back, I, real, I really feel like Battenfield is kind of pitching his way uh, into a permanent spot in this rotation. Uh, yeah, he has a couple of one, two, three innings to start. You know, in the first inning, he goes one, two, three with two strikeouts. Uh, does give up a single in the second, but then goes one, two, three uh, in the third. A walk and a double play helps him in that inning. Again, walking Jake Rogers and then wiping it out with a double play with the leadoff man, Maton. Uh, does give up a single in the walk in the fourth, but gets out of it. Goes, uh, walks Jake Rogers again. He's close to a one, two, three inning in the fifth, but he walks Jake Rogers again. Um, so yeah, so uh, after the solo home run from Riley Green, he puts him down one, two, three. So much less traffic on the bases, much less pressure uh, on uh, on Battenfield than there was on Hunter Gaddis throughout the game. So yeah, from the eye test, I mean, what do you think? Would you rather see Battenfield out there uh, for the rest of the season than Hunter Gaddis? Uh, occupying that extra spot in the rotation, you know, depending on what injury. I guess if if both Savali and McKenzie come back, then there might not be a spot in the rotation for these guys. But I think right now, if like if Savali comes back next week, I kind of feel like Badenfield has kind of earned a chance to stick around. He's he's pitched very well, so uh, we'll see how that shakes out. Now on the other side of things, like Eduardo Rodriguez. 10 strikeouts against Battenfield. So what was working for him? Uh, going over the player breakdown page for him. And uh, it was, I mean, 14 whiffs on 57 strings, uh, 15 called strikes. Um, so it's only a 29% CSW. It's not eye-popping CSW numbers for him. I guess the four-seam fastball, frankly, 41% uh, CSW on the four-seam fastball. And he was just, I mean, they were they were letting a lot of fastballs go as called strikes. Uh, if we go over to, if we look at uh, the pitch results and we just look at called strikes, I mean, a ton, a ton of four-seam fastballs, kind of right down the middle of the plate. I mean, right at the belt. They, I, I don't know what it was. They just weren't being aggressive enough. Um, Oscar Gonzalez let a couple of fastballs go. This was in the same at bat fastballs on the outside of the plate before he ultimately strikes out on a pitch on the outside edge of the plate. Arias let a fast, you know, fastballs right down the middle from Arias, Straw, uh, Brennan, uh, Arias again, uh, Brennan and Andres Jimenez. Fastballs, I mean, on an 0 count, they just were not being aggressive. And, I mean, these are fastballs right down the pipe to start an at-bat from Emenes and Brennan. And they just they weren't swinging at them. Uh, if we go over to the um, count breakdown, I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez lets one batter get to 2-0. One batter. 
Nobody even made it to a full count on him. He was just working down the left side of this pitch chart the entire game. I mean, 14 guys starts off first pitch strike. And just working ahead, 0-2 counts, 1-2 counts. The entire game. So maybe they needed a little more aggression. Maybe they needed to swing a little earlier and attack some of these fastballs. I don't know. Eduardo Rodriguez had their number. And and the best example of this is Jose Ramirez. I I could not believe Jose Ramirez went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Um, So let's look at these at-bats because, like we said, sometimes uh, storylines take place in different situations, right? Sometimes it's throughout a game. Sometimes it's the battle between a pitcher and a hitter. And I think this is a good indication of how dominant Eduardo Rodriguez was in this one. And remember when they signed Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, a lot, and they signed Javi Baez. A lot of people on like MLB Network were like, ooh, the Tigers are spending money. Ooh, the Tigers are going to be competitive in the Central Division. And after we saw them a couple times, we were like, no, nope, these Tigers are a mess. We've got their number. Eduardo Rodrigo was not that impressive to start his Tigers career. If, if it had been this Eduardo Rodriguez the entire time, maybe the Tigers would have been a little more competitive in the Central Division. But, uh, yeah, this is the first time I've actually been impressed from him pitching in a Tigers uniform. So he uh, gets Jose Ramirez on four pitches to start things off. Uh, misses away with a cutter. Uh, drops another cutter in at the knees. Uh, for a called strike, goes away with a changeup that he fouls off, and then frankly challenges him with a two-seam sinker right down the middle of the plate at the belt, and Jose Ramirez swings through it. So I don't know if that changeup away, uh, the change of speeds got him, but he he swings through one right down the middle of the plate. So that one's kind of on Jose there. Um, next time up for Jose Ramirez, uh, this time uh, he's working high and low on him. So Starts him off with a cutter uh, down in a way that he fouls off. It was in the strike zone. Uh, so he at least tacked a pitch in the strike zone. Didn't take a first pitch fastball in the strike zone. Goes four-seam fastball way above his head. He lays off for a ball. Comes back with another fastball high and tight that he swings through for a strike. And then drops a slider down in a way that he swings through for a strike. So that's that's a good pitch mix from Rodriguez there. Going high with a fastball and then down in a way with a slider. All right, next time up for Jose Ramirez. What's he working with here? He uh, misses with a four-seam fastball up. Then uh, this is a bad one. This this is where you knew Jose Ramirez just was not. He was completely off, uh, on especially in the second part of this game, or this doubleheader. Uh, so he misses with a high fastball, comes with a cutter in that he fouls off, goes with a cutter away that he swings through for a strike, and then comes back up, and I'm telling you, a cutter up at his head. And Ramirez swings through it for strike three. So he's going down hacking, but it's just, that's not a pitch you expect Jose Ramirez to chase. This is a guy that has a great eye down in the count, a great eye with two strikes. And he goes way up the ladder to chase a cutter up here. And uh, strikes out for the third time, and then Foley to end the game. Uh, Foley is just staying away from him as much as possible. He's batting from the left side now and uh, takes a changeup for a called strike, takes a changeup away for a ball, uh, goes with a hard sinker away for a ball, comes back with a hard sinker that stays off the plate, but it's up and Ramirez fouls it off. 
and then comes with a changeup on the outside edge. The change of speed. It's not that much of a difference between his changeup and his sinker, his hard sinker. He's going from a 97, 96 mile per hour, basically a 97 mile per hour sinker to a 91 mile per hour changeup, but it's enough. It's enough to get him to swing through it for strike three. So he stays away, um, and it works for him to get Jose Ramirez there. So rough day, rough day for Ramirez at the plate. 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. You're not going to see that very often. Uh, so yeah, that's about as much as I could dig, dig into this doubleheader. I mean, it was it was a brutal day. I'm glad to see Gonzalez get his first home run. There were a few positives uh, in this first game. Uh, you know, a couple of extra base hits here. The one, the double by Bell, and uh, there was a double by Freeman. Nice to see Tyler Freeman, by the way, who got called up with De Los Santos going on the paternity list. Congratulations to the De Los Santos family. Uh, Freeman gets called up. They brought up um, uh, somebody else to pitch as the as the twenty seventh man for the double header. Pilkington uh, was there in the back of the bullpen if they needed some length. Um, but Freeman gets to start here at shortstop with Ahmed Rosario dealing with a back strain that they said is all clear. He'll he'll probably just get a few days off. But Freeman's up here. Uh, they're actually going down a man in the bullpen. And Freeman's up here to take some of these reps at shortstop. And he continues to have a hot bat. I mean, he was smoking the ball in AAA. It's interesting. When we checked in on those AAA numbers a, you know, a week or so ago, he wasn't really he hadn't really turned it on yet. And uh, man, he heated up since that episode. And he was on fire in uh, AAA. And it keeps it rolling here, two for four. Now he might have tweaked something. Uh, apparently they said he might have hurt something in this game covering second base. So we'll we'll see if any of these shortstops. There there was a thing out there where Brian Rocchio got pulled from the AAA game. So we'll see if any of these shortstops do go on the IL, and if Rocchio might make his major league debut uh, as a replacement. Uh so yeah. So no, I mean nobody really offensively was super impressive uh, aside from Gonzalez's two run home run, but it's one at bat. Over the course of you know two games for Gonzalez, uh, he does have another hit in the uh, in the second game. One of the few hits we had, uh, but I gotta go MVP on the day. I almost didn't give it out because getting swept in a doubleheader by the Tigers, I almost didn't give it out. But I gotta say, Peyton Battenfield pitched pretty good. He was he was pretty effective in that second game, even if everybody out there was just exhausted and sick of being in the cold. Uh, so Battenfield is getting my MVP on the day for. A, a really good start here. Uh, you know, he's he's been impressive to the eye test so far in his short major league career. All right, let's jump off of this doubleheader because, frankly, it's depressing. I, getting swept by the Tigers in a doubleheader. I mean, we've got we got a game to salvage today, a 1 o'clock game, but to salvage something out of this series. But, it's man, we should not be losing series to the Tigers. Come on now. It drops us back to 500 on the season. It's just... It's it's depressing. So let's move off it. Let's get into the email inbox because we got a, some really good emails here. And they kind of overlap a little bit. So let's uh, read the emails and then we'll discuss their questions. And some of them have to do with the game today. Um, so I got a real really nice email from uh, Alexander. I, I don't know, Alex or Alexander, uh, what they go by. But uh, someone who's just... Uh, started to become a fan they said just recently got into baseball around 2021 
Uh, they've been a lifelong Clevelander. They're they're a young kid, 23 years old, and they just got into baseball. And they found the podcast, and man, we've really turned them, turned Alexander into a stat head. Uh, he said, I just want to acknowledge how grateful I was for having your show, uh, which is awesome. Uh, then he gets into the details of his question. Anyways, I wanted to email in and talk about the most recent series against the Nationals, and more specifically, our batting order slash rotation. Now, like most Cleveland fans, I'm a huge fan of Andres Jimenez and what he's been able to put together these past two seasons for us. However, I never understood why he's been consistently batting 6th or 7th in our lineup despite his production. It seems like we're the only team in baseball that bats our arguably second best player 7th in the lineup. Nevertheless, I was ecstatic to see the lineup card ahead of the second game in the series against the Yankees. Jimenez batting second. I couldn't believe it. Unfortunately, we didn't win the game, and that batting order was just a one-game thing. But in my opinion, I think this team is best with Jimenez closer to the front of the lineup. So there's two questions about the lineup. Why do you think Jimenez has been batting low in the lineup in the past? Do you think we'll see him move up? What do you think? Second question, what do you think of Oscar Gonzalez so far? Do you think he could be permanently replaced by Brennan in right field? So, Alex, I'm going to answer that first question because your second question kind of blends into our second email. So, again, Jimenez batting low in the lineup. I'm trying to figure it out because in this game, he has two opportunities to bat Jimenez at the top of the lineup. And instead, he bats him sixth in game one behind Oscar Gonzalez and then ends up batting him seventh in game two. So, you're right. He's still stuck down there. And instead, he's got Will Brennan and Miles Straw hitting in the first two spots of the lineup. Why not Andres Jimenez? Um, so, yeah, it was really bizarre that he doesn't give him a chance. Instead, he goes in game one, he goes Gabriel Arias in Ahmed Rosario's spot in the second spot of the lineup. And Ar- Arias is hitting 130. He's really struggling. He does finally get a hit in this one. But he's really struggling coming off the bench and being a bench guy and not playing every day. Uh, which is, I mean, it's a tough job. But yeah, I can't believe that Andres Jimenez isn't earning. The only thing I can think is he doesn't want to go lefty-lefty to start the game, especially against a left-handed pitcher. But these are both guys that he has extreme confidence in that can handle left-handed pitching, uh, Quan and Jimenez. So you know what? I, I don't understand. You're right. If these are your best hitters, why not have them at the top of your lineup? And if... You really don't want to go left on left. You can move Jose Ramirez up to two. There are plenty of great hitters in baseball that hit in that two hole. We've seen Judge do it. I feel like we've seen Trout and Otani do it. There are plenty of great hitters that hit in that two hole. Why can't you bump Jose Ramirez up and have Andres Jimenez hit third? And that would be a formidable way to start a game. There's no way you're going, you know, one, two, three in the first inning with Quan Ramirez and Jimenez, one, two, three in your lineup. So I don't, I don't understand. We've got to keep, <laughs> like we have any influence over this. We got to keep pressuring Terry Francona to get Jimenez up there in the lineup. You're right. He absolutely, our, our, this is an all-star player. He deserves to be in the top three in the lineup. It makes all the sense in the world for him to be in the top three in the lineup. But yeah, Francona will not, pull that trigger. Maybe he thinks it keeps the pressure off him by hitting him towards the middle, bottom, middle of the lineup. Maybe because the bottom of the lineup has actually been productive this season. You know, a lot of rallies, a lot of runs have been scored from the bottom of that lineup. So maybe it's that. He he just thinks there's a good combo going on down there with him and Straw close to each other. 
But yeah, it's it is a little bit frustrating. So then your second question about Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, like I said, it kind of doubles in. Chris from New Jersey uh, also emailed in. Uh, and he had a couple of questions, and he again asked about the right field situation. What are your thoughts on the right field situation? Obviously, Will Brennan has played well and more prominently of late and certainly deserves his playing time, but what do you make of Oscar Gonzalez being relegated to a pinch runner or primarily starting its left-handed pitching only? Is this more of just riding the hot bat, or is it clear already that Brennan is the preferred option for Francona? I don't think that Brennan is the preferred option for Francona yet. I do think... Uh, it started as a little bit of riding the hot bat. I do think Francona really likes Brennan. And there's a lot to like. He's he's an on-base machine just like Quan was, uh, you know, in his rookie season. So uh, I know Brennan, I think Brennan probably still qualifies for as a rookie. I don't know if he got enough at-bats at the end of 2022 uh, to, uh, that he's, you know, lost his rookie status. But, um, yeah, Brennan, I mean... Brennan's been hitting, and Gonzalez was struggling a little bit, and Brennan, Brennan is hitting the ball. So you understand why Francona's going with him and sticking with him in the lineup. He plays good defense. He's got a good arm. Uh, Gonzalez does have that good arm. He does play decent defense out there. Um, yeah, Brennan has been pretty good. So I do think it's a little bit of riding the hot bat or riding the hotter player right now. Gonzalez does get, you know, Back-to-back starts in this doubleheader because we're facing lefty pitchers both times. And does deliver the home run. Does have a hit in game two. So he at least, you know, was comp- had competitive at-bats throughout the day. So it's good to see Gonzalez doing that against the left-handed pitching. And we might end up in a straight platoon situation here. I just, you like both these kids, right? And there's only so many at-bats in the outfield. And the easiest way to do it is just to platoon them. And it makes the most sense to go versus lefties and righty pitchers, right? You got one left-handed bat, one right-handed bat. Why not platoon them out in right field? It's just, it's so hard to find at-bats, right? He dh Quan one day uh, this week to get at-bats. Quan actually gets game two off, uh, ends up pinch hitting um, in game two of this doubleheader to get more at-bats for Brennan and Gonzalez. So, He's trying to find creative ways to get these guys at bats, but there's only three outfield spots. Will we see Gonzalez DH a little bit, maybe? Uh, but then you're cutting into at bats for Bell and Naylor. So it's a tough situation for Francona to kind of squeeze everybody in this lineup because with all these young guys, right? With all these prospects you've acquired and things like that, he doesn't have a bench of veterans. He doesn't have a bench of 35 year old journeymen who are happy with, you know, a couple at-bats a week. He's got a bunch of young kids that should be on the field every day, and he's only got nine spots to fit them in. So he's got a lot of tough decisions to make when he's filling out that lineup card every day, Uh, keeping guys fresh, keeping them in there. I mean, Gabriel Arias also gets to start uh, both of these games. Uh, so, you know, getting trying to get him some regular at-bats. He does have a hit in both games, although I don't remember him hitting the ball very hard. I, I kind of feel like these were both infield hits. Uh, no, he does have one hard-hit ball credited in game one. Uh, so, yeah, uh, same thing with Arias on the infield. And now Tyler Freeman, like, trying to find at-bats for these young guys. is It's been tough. Some tough decisions to make. So uh, we got to cut him the slack a little bit there. Uh, and we'll see how they continue to mix 
moving forward. Uh, so I, I haven't given up on Oscar Gonzalez, uh, but I, I do like what Brennan brings to the table. That's, I, so I'm kind of in that situation. Uh, the second question from Chris in New Jersey, and Alex, thank you for the email. Uh, second question was about Josh Naylor. He says, is it me or has Josh Naylor lost his patience at the plate thus far? It seems whenever I've seen one of his at-bats the last few games, he's constantly expanding the zone, going after high fastballs, even up to his eye level. Is his chase rate up compared to 2022? So uh, I did look into this. I did look into some numbers for Josh Naylor. And yeah, uh, the chase rate is up a little bit uh, for him uh, this year. Um, He just slightly, though. Not as much as you would think. A 32.9% chase rate last year. It's up to 37.1. So it is up. Uh, it's above his career average, which is 32.8. So it, it is up. But, you know, I don't know if that's the only thing uh, that's hurting uh, Josh Naylor this season. He isn't hitting fastballs as well as he hit him last year. You're right. He's only slugging 200 against fastballs this year. Uh, last year, he slugged uh, 457. Had 10 home runs off fastballs. Hasn't hit a home run off a fastball yet. Now, almost had... I, I don't know what pitch that was, though. Almost had a home run off a left-handed pitcher uh, in Game 2. I want to point out. He did. Off a left-handed pitcher, he he had one, and it absolutely got robbed in right field by Matt Veerling. So, Naylor almost added a home run to this one. Would have... Would have been interesting. Would have been really interesting if we would have been tied 1-1 on solo home runs. But he absolutely gets robbed above the wall by Matt Verling in right field. So, uh, Naylor, uh, as far as his launch angle goes, his launch angle is way up. Uh, It went from 10.3 launch angle in 2022 to 19.7. So, that's a significant difference. And he is hitting a ton of more fly balls. He had a 22.5% fly ball rate, and it's up to 32.7 this year. So I don't know if it's all fastballs at the top of the zone, but he definitely is chasing pitches. All right. I think that's all my thoughts on this Cleveland baseball morning. It's been a long episode, a doubleheader, two emails. It was a lot to talk about this morning. So let's wrap things up. The final in the doubleheader, it's the Tigers 4, the Guardians 3, then the Tigers 1. The Guardians, nothing. They sweep us in the doubleheader. However, we're coming back with some more day, day baseball today. We've got Quantrill going against Turnbull. Uh, Quantrill's got some things to work out still on the mound. Uh, still not impressed with the start to his season. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts on specific players, and we will discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm, Spotify, actually, it's Spotify now, go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show, we'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.